always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. I can use two words that can describe what happened and what we've been through. The words are terror and chaos. Many families had to sell their children in order to save other children in Afghanistan last winter. Imagine if you can being so desperate for your family to survive that you feel you've no choice but to sell one of your children to save the others. That's the appalling situation some Afghans have found themselves in one year on from the Taliban takeover. Last August, the world witnessed chaotic scenes at Kabul airport as US forces withdrew from the country. The war in Afghanistan is now over. Now people there are on their knees. They're living under a brutally enforced and savagely rigid Taliban ideology and they're forced to contend with the near total economic collapse of their country and chronic food shortages. What the UN is calling the world's worst humanitarian crisis with 90% of people here going hungry. And there's strong evidence to suggest that Afghanistan is once again a safe haven for Al-Qaeda. The leader of Al-Qaeda was killed in Kabul, of all places, and the Taliban, you know, have the temerity to say, oh, we didn't know he was there, uh, which is completely unbelievable. I, I think they're just the same, uh, if not even more hardcore. Now they feel vindicated. They feel like they've won. That's what the mentality is within the Taliban. I'm Connor Pope, and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, what next for Afghanistan and for its people? Fatima Mohammadi has been living in Ireland since the start of this year. She was forced to flee her home in Afghanistan because her role as an aid worker for NGOs made her a target for the Taliban. The 31-year-old is currently teaching English to Ukrainian refugees in Ireland. Fatima, what was it like watching the Taliban retake control of Afghanistan and Kabul? And did the speed at which it all happened take you by surprise? Definitely. I... I can use two words that can describe what happened and what we've been through. The words are terror and chaos. We could see that uh, some provinces in Afghanistan were taken by the Taliban, but no one expected that to happen to Kabul. We believed that the government would stand. So it was a big surprise for everybody. In jeeps and on motorbikes, they're sweeping across Afghanistan like a deadly swarm moving faster and further than predicted, taking advantage of the disarray left behind by the Americans and other NATO forces. And of course, when the Taliban uh, seized control of Kabul, they made all these claims that they would be different this time round and they wouldn't impose a rule as restrictive as they had done in the 1990s and early part of this century, particularly when it came to women and girls. When those claims were made, did you believe them? Of course not. Not at all. So it's been one year that the the girls in Afghanistan, Afghan girls, have been deprived of their education primary right. Many people have lost their jobs. They They cannot afford the family. You know, it's about food. It's about starving. Many families had to sell their children in order to save other children in winter that passed. And... The other thing is about women's protests. Women, like social activists, they go go on streets 
and protest and how the Taliban respond them is by gunfire. So this means that there is no freedom of speech. Many of the women activists are being threatened, are being kidnapped. If you follow them on different pages, their you know, social activities, they are being threatened by the Taliban. But still, they go on the streets, they protest against them, and they raise their voice for their basic rights. Because there should be someone to let the world know about what is happening in Afghanistan. What I'm sure is that Afghan women would not remain silent and would not just give up whatever they have achieved during the last years, during the 20 years. And on a day-to-day basis, what is happening in Afghanistan right now? What is life like there? Mm, I was there last winter. At that time in winter, it is a very difficult time because most families didn't have job, cannot afford their families financially and couldn't bring food for the family. So we had a campaign to provide winter aid and food for families in winter. I was with one of my colleagues and we were delivering the packages for the families. Taliban members stopped us and my face was covered. But they asked us that, okay, what is the relation? What or how you two are related? And we had to say that we are husband and wife. In a situation that people are starving and they don't have job, they don't have safety, security, Taliban are worried about women that, okay, your hijab, your face is covered. You, Who is the man that you are walking with? Is he your mahram? So this is the situation. This is the Taliban's mindset. They have no idea about governing, about ruling a country, about the priorities. So life of a woman is like that. You cannot be active in Afghanistan. You cannot continue your work. You cannot continue your education. They would like to just hide your face and your voice. They are the same Taliban. They have not changed at all. Coming up, the terrible toll the last year has had on Afghanistan, its economy and its people. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. Colin Clark is a US author and an expert in counterterrorism and violent extremism. He has spent time in Kabul working for various agencies and he's been following the implosion of Afghanistan over the past 12 months. Colin, we've just heard from Fatima who said that the Taliban 2.0 are actually pretty much the same as they always were and any promise of change and a relaxation of their rigid and oppressive rules has not been delivered. 
What have you observed about how the organisation has been operating over the past year? I, I think they're just the same, uh, if not even more hardcore. Now they feel vindicated. They feel like they've won. They waited out the world's, you know, superpower. And so to them, this is a victory march. Why should they have to alter their behavior when they're the ones that, you know, that won the war? Uh, that's what the mentality is within the Taliban. And so um, they're even more brazen, even more cavalier, even more brutal to fellow Afghans. And I think we've seen that play out in a number of different instances. Uh, and I think, you know, going back to last year, when we heard these promises that, you know, the Taliban 2.0 was going to be a kinder, gentler Taliban, no serious counterterrorism analysts actually ever believed that. It was hogwash from the beginning. Um, and anyone that did buy into that did so out of naivete, wishful thinking, or worse. I would imagine that the, the continued zealotry like isn't going to do the country any favours. I mean, you mentioned the economic hobbling of Afghanistan. Does the Taliban still have this incredibly insular mentality or is it looking in any way at the broader world and saying, listen, how can we fix our broken economy and how can we benefit the people of Afghanistan? Well, in, in that respect, the Taliban is far more open than it was, you know, 20 plus years ago. You have to remember before 9-11, there was only a handful of countries in the world that actually recognized the Taliban. Uh, it was Pakistan, United Arab Emirates and, and Saudi Arabia, um, if, if I recall correctly. Now the Taliban's actually engaging with a lot of countries, Qatar, China, Turkey. They understand that they need to bring uh, money into the country and uh, that they need to revive the economy. They just don't know how to go about it. These are guys that have spent the last 20 years fighting an insurgency, you know, not attending the London School of Economics. So uh, they, they do what they know how to do. And beyond that, they're very limited in their capabilities. The wheelbarrows and carts of Kabul are laden high with the best the land can provide. But this is a market without customers. Most Afghans have run out of money. How severe is the scale of the humanitarian crisis that the people of Afghanistan are facing right now? And are they as vulnerable to food shortages as other parts of the world as a result of the war in Ukraine? Very much so. I mean, that's the, you know, that's that's the elephant in the room is that the Russian, illegal Russian invasion of Ukraine has had an impact far beyond Europe itself. I mean, we've seen what it's done to sub-Saharan Africa, to grain and cereal shipments elsewhere. And so, uh, you know, the, we have to look at these things holistically, right? It's the economy, it's the war in Ukraine, it's climate change, which Afghanistan is completely unprepared to deal with. It's natural disasters. There was an earthquake in the country. Uh, and so it just seems like one blow after another with no clear you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Now, we know that there's uh, aid agencies are heavily involved in Afghanistan. But beyond the aid agencies, is there any involvement of Western governments in Afghanistan at present? You know, there are things that are happening behind the scenes. Uh, I think, you know, Doha has long been a meeting place uh, where other countries could go and talk to the Taliban. Uh, and in that respect, I have to give a lot of credit to the Qataris. Uh, they've been able to pretty masterfully bring together all these different warring sides and competing sides uh, and, and to get people to sit down and talk at the table. So I have no doubt that's continuing. The question becomes, you know, those Taliban members that have been living in Doha for uh, the past five or 10 years, are those the folks that are calling the shots on the ground in Afghanistan itself? To me, 
there seems to be a fissure developing between what we call the Doha Taliban, the guys have, that have been living in nice five-star hotels, uh, living five-star jihad for the past, you know, five or ten years, and those, you know, like members of the Haqqani network that have been on the ground, that have been mid-level commanders that have been fighting, and that have earned the legitimacy in the eyes of other foot soldiers to call the shots. And so um, that's a bit of a divergence and one that I think could be problematic going forward. And what about the, the, the people of Afghanistan and any kind of resistance movement? Like, has there been any sign of a resistance movement within Afghanistan? And has, if so, has it grown stronger or has it grown weaker over the past 12 months or so? Yeah, so up north in, in Panjshir and around there, you've got the kind of legacy of uh, former Afghan national security forces that have managed to cobble together uh, a resistance force. But by most accounts, it's not having too much of an impact. Uh, you know, this is traditionally, you know, Afghanistan has been at war since uh, the Soviets invaded, right, going all the way back to 1979, so over four decades ago. So there's always been this kind of infighting among Afghans. That's going to continue. The Taliban, however, remains the uh, the strong horse, right? Even the Islamic State Khorasan, which is waging a, a pretty effective insurgency in parts of eastern Afghanistan along the Afpak border, is never going to have the qualitative edge to challenge the Taliban. Um, and conversely, I don't think the Taliban is going to be able to completely stamp them out. So what you have is this kind of durable disorder where the country just continues to limp along, you know, in this, uh, you know, in this state of insecurity, more or less. And is Afghanistan today still considered by Western intelligence a safe haven for terrorists, including al-Qaeda? And is there any class of relationship developing, for want of a better word, between the Taliban and the forces of Islamic State? So, you know, the Taliban and Islamic State, I'll start with that question, are, are mortal enemies. They're at odds. They're fighting each other. Um, you know, there's been reports of the, you know, some Taliban fighters defecting to the Islamic State in small numbers, but, but those are two organizations that are going to remain at odds. To go to the first question, which is to what extent is Afghanistan today a safe haven or sanctuary for terrorism? 100% it is. I mean, just last week, the leader of Al-Qaeda was killed in Kabul, of all places. It's taken 21 years. Osama bin Laden was the face behind the 9-11 attacks, but al-Zawahiri was seen as the brains. Officials say his tactics and organizational skills were responsible for the deaths of nearly 3,000 people. And the Taliban, you know, have the temerity to say, oh, we didn't know he was there, uh, which is completely you know, unbelievable. There's there's no possible way that that could be true. In fact, Zawahiri was staying at the house of Siraj Haqqani, who's one of the Taliban, you know, leaders. The Taliban has called the killing a violation of international principles. But al-Zawahiri's presence in Kabul has cast doubt on the Taliban's promise its country would not be a haven for terrorists. But it all, you know, and Siraj Haqqani is somebody that has a multi-million dollar bounty on his head by the U.S. government. So if he's a leader of that country, how are we ever going to deal with them? Uh, the, you know, and this speaks to, I think, the lack of U.S. strategy. It wasn't well thought out. Um, you know, whether or not you agree with withdrawing from Afghanistan, the evacuation itself was handled poorly. Uh, and there seems to be no clear strategy from the Biden administration on what happens next. 
You paint a very bleak picture, Colin, about the future of Afghanistan. And even going back to the early 80s when you had the Russian invasion, followed by years of war, followed by the Russian pullout, followed by the control of the Taliban, and then an almost repeat cycle with the Americans invading. Like, Is there any prospect that the people of Afghanistan will see a brighter future? I don't see anything in the immediate future. I mean, I'd love to, you know, kind of paint some picture of optimism. I, I just, you know, this is a country I've been studying for a long time and, and I just don't see it. Uh, the Taliban are there to stay. This is what, you know, in the United States, I, when I talk to people, I say, this is what losing a war looks like. We lost the war. We didn't win and we withdrew. Um, and, you know, this is the ultimately, you know, we're seeing the, the ramifications of that play out on a daily basis. And are we all to a degree complicit here? Because, I mean, this time last year, there was a huge focus on the brutality of the Taliban and what it meant for women and girls and all of the people of Afghanistan. But then we just moved on and we stopped thinking about it. And arguably, a lot of people stopped caring about it. Is that also a problem? It's a great point. And I think, yeah, to a certain degree, we are all complicit. But there's where I think people can actually have some agency and do something. Uh, you know, if there are Afghans in, in your country and you want to assist them and welcome them uh, and make them feel, you know, like they do have a new home or you can donate to aid agencies, there are things, steps that we can take. You know, here in the United States, we consider ourselves a melting pot uh, and making sure that these people do feel welcome. Although, you know, this is actually a time uh, of, of a lot of upheaval in the United States uh, and of a rising far right uh, and, and not exactly the most welcoming point in our history. But you know, there's been other points where, you know, even, you know, when the Irish came, who they weren't necessarily welcomed with open arms, right? And uh, have now become an integral part of the fabric of the United States and maybe the Afghans will too. To be honest, Irish people are very nice, supportive, and caring. I've been living, since I arrived in Ireland, I've been living with an Irish host family. So I had the chance to share about Afghanistan and to get to know about Ireland, about history, about music, culture, and customs. And unlike many Irish people who do not like the weather, I really like the weather. So the country itself is a nice, beautiful, small country with very hospitable people. And I'm not just sharing my experience. I'm sharing my students, Ukrainians' experience as well. They are really happy living in Ireland. Yeah, you might talk to me a little bit about that because you've, in a very strange turn of events, you've come to Ireland and you've now found yourself teaching Ukrainian refugees in Ireland English. That's a very strange journey to have taken over the last 12 months, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I, it's been about three months that I started teaching English to Ukrainians. Most of them are women. So since I am a woman and my students are women, we can understand each other. And we have been through the same trauma, leaving everything behind, your family, your home, your hopes, your country behind. So we can understand each other. Sometimes they cannot stop the emotions and they cry. So I, I know how they feel, how they are feeling. And I try my best that in my classes, it is not just only teaching. I want to 
create the community network of us. I want to be friends with them. And I'm really happy. Uh, I, I feel like uh, I was so lucky to have the chance to know Ukrainian women. What should we be doing, Fatima? I mean, this time last year, all of the world's media was focused on Afghanistan. And then the world moved on. And people stopped thinking about Afghanistan. But what could we in Ireland, the people of Ireland, do better to try and ensure that this struggle that you're talking about has some kind of successful resolution? Uh, that is a great, first of all, that is a great you know, platform, social media, to reflect on what is happening in Afghanistan right now because many people do not know about it. So it is very important that the Taliban know that, okay, the world is watching you whatever you are doing to Afghan people. And the other thing which is really upsetting, after, you know, having having lost our country is sad and depressing enough. But after that, some scholarships were available for Afghan people and some countries started stopping that scholarships. So I would like to request governments, island government, to give opportunities for people who are in Afghanistan to continue their education. And another thing, uh, you know, many people like me, about 500 or 600 Afghans came to Ireland with the support of Irish government. But still, our families are in Afghanistan. One of my friends, she has a nine-year-old son and she couldn't bring her son with herself to Ireland. She is still trying, after one year, she is still trying to reunificate with her family. So I would like to ask the government to support family reunification for Afghan people. Can you find any glimmers of optimism or hope about what might happen in the future for the people of Afghanistan? To be honest, the future is totally unpredictable. Like what happened, nobody could predict that. So I don't know what might happen. But the only thing that I can say is that I hope for a better future, for freedom of speech, for women and girls, freedom of work, and freedom of showing their face and raising their voice. I just hope for a better future for Afghan people because they deserve that. They have been in conflict and war for many years and that's enough. Fatima, thank you very much for talking to us. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you for your time. That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Suzanne Brennan, Aideen Finnegan and Declan Conlon. We'll be back on Monday.